0: I missed you while I was away, believe it or not. It was a good time away, though. And I heard Amy did a a wonderful job last week. Um, um, All right. Today, the gospel gives us this conversation, actually part of a series of confrontations. This conversation between Jesus and a scholar of Torah, the law, a Pharisee, who asks Jesus, which of the directives, the commandments in Torah, which of the commandments of God is the most important? Love God with all you are, says Jesus, which seems a no-brainer, a good thing for a spiritual leader to encourage. But then he goes on, there's a second just as important Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that too seems a no brainer. I don't know anyone who would argue against love. I don't know anyone who would encourage us to hate our neighbor. And yet only a fleeting look at history, even a quick quick glance around us, will tell you that a whole lot of us are not very loving, that a great many of us, in fact, do hate, that far too many of us act in hate far too much of the time. Love your neighbor as yourself, said Jesus, quoting Leviticus. It seems so obvious, but even in Scripture it's not easy. Huge portions of the Bible are given over to competing interpretations of what it means to love, and even more to arguments about just who is my neighbor, just who's included as neighbor. You'll remember Jesus' famous answer when he was asked, who's my neighbor, his story of the the hated scum of a Samaritan who was the only one to care for a beaten man lying by the side of the road? Wrong question, Jesus seems to say. Ask instead for whom you will act as a neighbor, whom you will treat as a neighbor. Even this Leviticus passage that Jerry read for us The passage that Jesus is quoting, even that enters the fray. Who's my neighbor? Is it someone poor, someone who cannot or will not support themselves? Yes, Leviticus says. Says that by directing that provision be made for them, that the edges of a field not be harvested, so something remains for them. Which makes me wonder... Can you love your neighbor by shifting wealth upward, by increasing inequality, by cutting social supports, and by making more people desperate? Who is my neighbor? Is it it someone disabled, sick, someone in need of health care and support? Yes, says Leviticus, by directing that the blind and the deaf be protected, which makes me wonder whether you can love your neighbor by undermining health insurance, by gutting Medicaid, by privatizing and commercializing health care. Who is my neighbor? Is it someone weaker, someone vulnerable? Yes, Leviticus says, so don't take advantage of them. Don't, Don't defraud them. Don't make profit from their weakness. Which makes me wonder, can you love your neighbor by reversing regulations that control predatory and risky bank practices? By undoing the protections that make for cleaner air and water for a more living and livable earth? By undermining the watchguards of the safety and welfare of workers and their wages? Who's my neighbor? Well, surely those like me, my, my race, my religion, my nationality, But no, says Leviticus, far more than them, directing them to make provision for the alien. The very one who is different, the very one not like them in their midst. Which makes me wonder can you love your neighbor by caricaturing their religion, by banning entry, by building a wall? Invading their homes, separating their families, deporting them. Who is my neighbor? Well, certainly not those who harm me. Ah, says Leviticus, even them. Do not bear a grudge, do not seek vengeance, but love them, your neighbors. A direction echoed by Jesus much later when he would say, love your enemies and pray for those who would harm you. Anyone can love their friends. Which makes me wonder, can you love your neighbor by increased militarization? By making nuclear threats? By engaging in drone missile attacks and demeaning verbal assaults? Love your neighbor which includes even your enemies. The Dalai Lama shares the story of a friend, a friend who was a monk at the same monastery when the Dalai Lama was young, a story that makes clear just what's involved in that. His Tibetan friend was arrested at the same time that he, the Dalai Lama, had to flee Tibet in 1959 during tightening repression by the Chinese. His friend was confined with 130 others in a remote Chinese labor camp, the equivalent of of a gulag in an area similar to Siberia, where, where all of them were forced into hard labor, were given barely enough food to survive, and were underclothed. They were always hungry. They were always cold. They had no shoes even on the coldest days. And this friend remembers days so cold that spit would freeze before, or before it hit the ground and would hit the ground as ice. One day he was so hungry he tried to eat the body of another prisoner who had died. But the flesh was frozen and he couldn't bite into it. On top of all of that was the torture, immense torture, all of which this friend endured for 18 years until he and the only 20 others who survived were finally released. When at last he was free, he went to visit his friend, the Dalai Lama, now in India, and he shared his story as he was telling the story, he said I, that he was in real danger so much of that time. Yes, thought the Dalai Lama, you, like so many others, could have died at any time. But his friend continued explaining that so much of that time he was in real danger, danger of losing his compassion for his Chinese guards. For those who imprisoned him, who neglected him, who tortured him and abused him, he saw himself as in danger of losing his compassion for them. Love your neighbor, which includes even your enemies. What needs to be clear is that love here, the love Leviticus calls for, the love Jesus' names, the love, the compassion that the Dalai Lama's friend feared losing, love here is not about having a warm feeling or a grateful heart. Love here and throughout the Bible is a choice, an act, a stubborn, unwavering commitment to the humanity of the other, a humanity like my own, a humanity no less important than my own a stubborn, unwavering commitment to recognize the humanity of the other, to respond to it, to to hold on to it, to not let go of it or dismiss it no matter what. It involves seeing that we are part of each other, that we belong to each other, that we are neighbors to each other. That we, not I, is what matters. Now, I'm sure you're aware of the numerous studies that that show that social connections, being part of a we, are hugely important to, to both mental and physical health, especially the older we get. But one researcher took those studies further and found that even in relationships, those who are self-absorbed, those who use the words I and me far more than we and us are far more likely to be depressed. And another health researcher in a in a series of studies that began in the 1980s and continued for decades has found over and over and over that being self-focused or or self-absorbed is dangerous, really dangerous to our health. Those who more frequently say, I, me, mine, than we, us, ours, are at a higher risk of heart attack. And when they have a heart attack, are at a higher risk of dying of those heart attacks. And the results even show that self-involvement is a better predictor of death than smoking, high cholesterol, or high blood pressure. Hear that. Our very well-being depends on seeing ourselves as we, seeing that we belong to each other, that we are part of each other. Our very well-being Mental, physical, and according to Jesus, spiritual, depends on loving our neighbor. A neighbor as expansive as Leviticus gives us, at least as broad as the human race. Will Williman, who's a a noted preacher and now a retired United Methodist bishop, used to be fond of saying that Christians don't have many ideas that the long history of the church gives us precious few of them, few ideas, and even fewer new ideas, that all we get is the same old stuff. Love one another. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Give without question. Welcome the stranger. Bless those who would harm you. Turn the other cheek. Christians don't have many ideas, just the same old stuff. What is new, he says, what Christians have to offer, is that every now and then, someone ups and takes that stuff seriously. Someone up and really gives it a try. Someone ups and embraces another who is different than they are or, or seeks the well-being of someone vulnerable as if they were just as important or shares what they have with someone who needs it or refuses to hate even when they are attacked or gives, gives even when it's not easy. The only thing they have to offer is that every now and then, someone really does begin to love their neighbor, every neighbor. He might have added, begins to see themselves as we, not I. So it is that Leviticus calls for as it encourages us to love our neighbor and expands that neighbor wider and wider. So it is that Jesus calls for as he distills faith to two simple cornerstones, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, which he says, quoting Leviticus. And so it is that we are called to in times as troubling and demanding as any we've faced. So it is that we're called to our narcissist in chief notwithstanding. So it is that we are called love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps Robin Myers put it best. In the faithful church, he writes, we will worship God by following Jesus and we will follow Jesus by loving our neighbor, period. Loving our neighbor, period. Period. Let's pray we will more and more actively, more and more persistently, more and more boldly, let's pray we will.